Hello and welcome to R3 Sense, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined once again by my childhood friend Chris Dow. Video games make us happy. And my adulthood friend Minty Booth. Bury me with my hair. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 video games. This week we have our number 79s. Moving into the 70s, how does it feel? Excellent. (laughs) But before we do that, (laughs) it's time for the quiz. Big deep breath. As it stands, the score is 10-9 to Chris. In the video game series Portal, the sadistic passive-aggressive GLaDOS is a sentient AI bent on killing her test subject, Chell. During the events of Portal 2, what is the vegetable that GLaDOS... Potato. Yeah, fair play. I haven't even played it. Oh, we of course, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, well, there we go. Minty has leveled the playing field. Bollocks. It is ten all. Oh, just call me the aubergine emoji. <laughs> I would, but I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm one of your five a day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what have we been playing this week? I've not actually had a tremendous time to... to play games this week but in the small pockets i did have away from a very busy work week i played a little bit of um the remaster of borderlands on the ps4 Ah. because i played it briefly back when it was on the xbox 360 that generation and then it kind of just sat dormant i never got around to playing it again but the the remaster recently in kind of anticipation for the third game is all right it seems reasonably decent. It's disappointing. It's not actually as smooth as it should be, given that it is like a decade-old game now. Yeah. I, I think it's kind of been farmed out to a, to a lesser studio just to have something on store shelves kind of thing. Uh, Minty, how about yourself? What have you been playing this week? Oh, you know me. I do, yes. You're my adulthood friend, <laughs> Minty Booth. Bury me with my hair. <laughs> Sorry, I've already done that one. What have I been playing this week? Well, after you two talked about it last week, I've been playing, what's it called? Konami Pixel Puzzle. Ah, oh, yes. Lovely. And as I was just saying to you, Jonathan, because I commute, I've done an ashamedly large amount of the puzzles. I'm on about 25% on mine. I'm on 27.4. Oh. I mean, I'm only on about 18%, and I've done a lot, it seems. It's a big yeah. game. Yeah, it's huge, and it's, it's, it's great fun for the commute, because I, I'm not driving the bus. You know, what am I going to do? <laughs> not drive the bus. Ooh. Might, as, might as well solve non-grum puzzles. Indeed, yeah. indeed. Yeah. As for myself, I have played through and completed SteamWorld Quest, which I had a wonderful time doing. Good. Is that a question or a statement? <laughs> you answer it in both ways. If I said good, question mark, what, what would your response be? Very good, yes. And if I said good, as in I was happy that you'd enjoyed it. Thank you. I'm glad I enjoyed it as well. <laughs> Maybe we'll make this episode a choose-your-own-adventure podcast and they can decide which, which branch to go down. <laughs> 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 had a fantastic time playing it really good fun i feel that i completed it without to be honest really scratching the surface of it i didn't even use so there's five characters that you get but you only ever have three in your party and i never never used one of the characters at all and i dabbled very very briefly with uh, with the other one so i'm, I'm certainly going to uh, play through it again at some point there's a legendary mode hard mode and uh, i'll probably give that a go at some point but um yeah it was really nice and then since then i've just been back on new star manager Ah, it's a lovely game. How far through are you on that? How many seasons have you played? I think it took me two seasons to get promoted the first time. Oh, amateur. Well, I didn't know what I was doing. Didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and now I am about to win the championship, so... Uh, lovely stuff. Yeah, I'm having a good good old time. A good old time. 
but I was playing it while simultaneously watching Arsenal. And the, the, the contrast was really, really strange because I was just like, come on, guys, win. And I was like, I'm 4 I'm nil up. But um, <laughs> I was channeling my emotion from Arsenal and, um, and exhausting my players needlessly. <laughs> in the meantime, we've had another question come in from the Twitter sphere. Oh, really? We have indeed. Oh, cool. So my namesake, David Dunn, no relation, has asked us what we think about the recent discussions around a easy mode being included in games that are considerably harder than most. I think the discourse that has happened around Sekiro is is the most recent mm. one where people are saying it's a point of accessibility to allow, you know, everyone to have to enjoy the game. And they should be an easy mode. Otherwise, it's, you know, it's uh, it's excluding a whole load of players. As somebody who is demonstrably awful at most video games, I think it's uh, I think it's a great idea because mm. now that, that most video games are, are moving towards kind of the uh, the spectacle and uh, driving a narrative forward as opposed to just completing it for the sake of completion, having such a hard game does kind of shut people off. Mm. If it was Mario The Lost Levels, for example, which was famously not released in the West because it was so hard, that doesn't need an easy mode because it's just hard Mario levels. Yeah. But I'm never going to play Sekiro because, well, I don't have a PS4, <laughs> but also because uh, because it is so hard and I know that I, will, I won't be good at it. Mm. But I'll be missing out on what I'm assuming is a, is a wonderful experience and a really lovely story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I... I like it when there's... I mean, it, it depends on what sort of mood I'm in because having a game be, you know, significantly hard means that it's, in some senses, less enjoyable to play. The sense of achievement that you get and accomplishment you get is phenomenal and that makes up for it, but that's not always what I'm in the mood to play. No. And for a game like Sekiro or any of the From Software games, you know going into it what you're, what you're going into. It's kind of implicitly what you've signed up for is a challenge. Having said that... I probably would have enjoyed it more if I'd have played it through on an easier mode. I probably would have defeated the final boss then as well. And I don't <laughs> feel that my experience of the game would have been detracted, to be honest. Like the only reason why I sort of pushed through and got good at it, like I did with Dark Souls and Bloodborne, was so that I could play more of the game. But one, one of the things that I've seen done, which I quite like, so Bethesda do like a difficulty slider in their games, like in Elder Scrolls and in Fallout and mm. stuff like that. So you can just change it on the fly from easy to hard. Even in the middle of combat. And that's really lovely because it means that you can sort of, you can do it however you want, really. But something that I've seen done recently as well is in, I think it was in the last Tomb Raider game, the way that it phrased it wasn't like easy, normal, hard it was just like it i think it was something like narrative led or like gameplay led or something mm. like that that's a nice way of doing it do you want to proceed enjoying the story or do you want to proceed with uh, a challenging gameplay and i was like that's really that's a nice way of putting it because yeah, yeah. because for me i i wanted to play through the game and i didn't care about being good at the game because i'm not gonna stream myself playing it or i'm not gonna do speed runs or compete with it so i was mm. like well i may as well play it on easy mode and have fun and get through the game and play the story and all of that yeah. and i had a great time every time i start uh, a new run on skyrim the very first thing i do is i crouch behind ralof or hadvar and backstab him until my sneak is at 100 oh yeah <laughs> and then i go and do the fortify restoration glitch use that to get my smithing up to 100 and forge myself weapons that can kill everything in one hit and after that i change the difficulty from novice up to legendary. <laughs> <laughs> 
Fantastic. I mean, I think there is a place for hard, challenging games. I do particularly... I like it when I get good at a game that is quite hard, like, say, like Dead Cells. Oh, yeah. But Dead Cells, you can enjoy... I mean, I enjoyed it from the very beginning, you know, when I wasn't very good at it. In a way, it's sort of fluidly adapts to your ability so you know you can just increase the difficulty as you go and the game sort of adapts to that and likewise with other sort of roguelikes have similar options where you can crank the difficulty up or you just try and get further and further and further and i think um two examples of of games that do this quite well like i'm I'm all for more uh, difficulty options i think similar to minty because i am shockingly shit at most genres <laughs> but i think it's in celeste the the 2d platform game yes. that kind of came out about a year ago even though the difficulty i think is tied implicitly to the narrative essentially yeah. of the game yeah it does have a full suite of options which lets you slow down the speed of the game and modify all sorts of other things to, to let you beat it and also i think shadow warrior 2 that came out a couple of years back it had like what was essentially the easy mode whatever it was called but in the kind of dialogue when you first start to explain what each mode is, it said something along the lines of sometimes you just want to come home from work and just be a badass and be able to kill everything. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And, and that kind of translates to that idea of what you were saying. Like it's, it's the mood you are in sometimes when yeah. you play a game. And for me especially, like if, if I know I've got to a difficult part of a game, that's when I just switch off sometimes and will never go back to something. If, if, I, if I don't feel I'm at the right sort of mood to play it at that time, it can then be months and then I just forget I was even playing it in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> so it is definitely, it's a barrier, I think, to a lot of people, not necessarily purely as like a reflex thing for, for those that might have physical disabilities yeah. or cognitive disabilities, but other people that just can't be bothered sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, is a, it is a roadblock in that sense. I mean, I think, you know, reading online about it, you know, the general consensus is including an easy mode and not playing it is no different from not having an easy mode there. Yeah. So I don't know why anyone would have a problem with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's stupid. I mean, I think that From Software is, is, a, is a company that would get unfair criticism if they did that, because mm. obviously, like I said, their games are kind of built around this, uh, you know, uh, legendarily difficult gameplay, but not unfair. Oh, never <laughs> <unfair>. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm all about that i'm all about that it's like it's, you lose but it's your fault yeah there we are thank you david for sending uh, that question in and if anybody else wants to send in the other questions in then please do get in touch and listen out for our details at the end of this episode so moving on to the rankings to the rankings starting this week we have minty Minty, can you please tell us what your 79th favourite video game of all time is? Creme de Monf. <laughs> so, when this game came out, it was lauded for being um, in a league of its own. It was probably the scariest game on any Nintendo console. And you played this sort of... You played this, this avatar of malice who would go around and trap the souls of the innocent and suspend them in like a an isolated unending limbo it's just like an isolated consciousness unable to move or even think for all eternity true hell and the sort of this this particular hellscape would uh, sort of manifest in this really sort of dingy almost spectral mansion i guess you could call it as you would basically condemn these uh, these poor wandering souls to an unending eternity of torments a second death as it were not only would you reap their souls that you would make for some reason you would just make money off of it <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Coincidentally, the pennies dropped. <laughs> <laughs> and as you were, and as you were going through this, uh, this, this terrible. Well, I, I like the word mansion. I'll keep using that. As you go through this, uh, this dreadful <laughs> mansion, your ghastly apparatus mm. would. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you'd often be left wanting because of the other uh, limitations of the build of that apparatus so you would employ the services of uh, several elemental spirits to help you reach new areas of this uh, of this uh, mansion as you uncover the mystery of this uh, of this dreadful mansion you find out that uh, an awful and terrifyingly powerful spirit has been basically causing chaos in in the nether realm and he was the one that freed all the spirits in the first place so you go from um, just willy-nilly trapping souls and condemning them to an eternity of solitude and all of a sudden your goal is to defeat this dreadful and monstrous i guess you could call him a, a ghostly monarch and coincidentally, not only has he uh, released all of these souls into this into this ghastly manse, but also he's uh, stolen one of your blood kin as well. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and the mystery sort of unfolds as you gather many of his personal effects to, uh, to sort of piece together what happened in this place. As, as an aside... I just love the idea of choosing like Mario Luigi on a screen and so, with the title being Choose Your Blood Kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. And as you get higher and higher into this twisted tower of a mansion, you find that this, uh, that this regal spectre has manifested himself in your greatest fear. A terrifying and towering uh, leviathan a great behemoth who spits uh, fire and spiky balls at you. It's terrifying. Mm, that's straight out of the Book of Revelation, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm, and spitting of balls and, mm. <laughs> yeah. But then it all works out in the end because you, you defeat him and, you, and you, uh, you trap him as well. And then you rescue your bloodkin and he <laughs> pops out of the machine that your wacky professor friend uh, uses to trap the spirits by putting it in reverse. And the lovely ending is of Luigi just crying laughing at Mario, sort of all dazed in a picture frame in Luigi's mansion. Ah. Very, very nice game. <laughs> Standing ovation. Very good. I was going to say, did anyone play the 3DS remake of Luigi's Mansion? No. But no. I was tempted. It's very good. I'm sure it is. It translates really nicely. And it's nice to have both that and its sequel on the same console. Mm. I don't know if this is spoilers or not, but um, this is the only Luigi's Mansion on my list because uh, Luigi's Mansion 2, it was a great game. It was a great sort of uh, step up from, from the original, but it was episodic. Not a fan of. Not not really a fan of. I I don't mind that sort of thing. I think I I mean I like a bit of well organised admin, um, mm. and I essentially that's you know especially on the spectral plane. Yeah, but I just liked having this. I mean, the game is called Luigi's Mansion, so you have you are in this mansion and you can explore it. And as you as and as you collect things and unlock new powers for your poltergust, you can go to new areas of the mansion, and it was great. Like. You would go back to Egad's lab after each boss, but, you know, there weren't that many. So you were just like, it was just you alone in, in, this, in this place uninterrupted. And it was, it was great. If anything, the second one should have been called Luigi's, I don't know, property portfolio. 
<laughs> in a spooky way. I mean, they could have gone, obviously, the alien route and just called it Luigi's Mansions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a good time playing Luigi's Mansion. It was better than I think people thought it was going to be. Absolutely. Mm. But then also... It was received unfairly negatively simply because it wasn't a Mario game. Yeah. And it was obviously a launch title for the GameCube. Mm. It was only really when I played the second one that I realised actually just how good the first one was. I'm certainly of the opinion that the second one is a far superior game. It's that distinction between which is better and which is your favourite. Exactly. I do think Luigi's Mansion 2 is a better game, Mm. but I prefer Luigi's Mansion. I'm glad that you've had the confidence to say that. Mm. What I found when I played through through both games at at different times was, you know, you can have lower spec hardware. Mm. Uh, This is talking like playing them on the 3DS, especially because this is a tiny, tiny screen on on a pretty low powered handheld. But the art direction in both games is fantastic. So good. And obviously, Luigi's Mansion on the GameCube was a real showstopper at the time because it was a, a new console, like a, a new, you know, big, big, powerful home machine. Yeah. But in comparison, I think Luigi's Mansion 2, what it does really nicely is, is the art is just fantastic. The animation throughout is stunning. The animation is the thing that really makes it for me. I mean, I, I say it's, it's one of the best animated games I've ever seen in yeah, terms of personality. Absolutely. And I mean, it's it's up there with, it's it's comparable to any of the CG uh, animated films from Pixar. Yeah. Wonderful thing is it had to be Luigi uh, for that to work. It wouldn't have worked yeah. with, with another character. It needed to be this uh, wimp. This simpering pole of a man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when he gets nervous and starts whistling the... Uh, the, the Luigi's Mansion theme. <laughs> it's just wonderful. It's absolutely so filled with personality. And like, I mean, the gameplay mechanic in it is, I mean, it's unlike anything else I've seen. I mean, mm. I don't know how you come up with something like that, to be honest, because... What, to give him a hoover? Well, well, one, to give him a hoover, and just but just the way that the game is set up. I mean, there's no other game that does that, where you need to sort of find yeah. things and catch them and tra- trace them and sh- shine a light on them. And I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Any other, like, there's, there's never been another example in popular media as a whole that has, um, has a main character, like, just sucking up ghosts. Not that I'm aware of. No. Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> I mean, it's almost, it's almost Metroidvania style because of how that it works. It on, is. Yeah. On a 2D plane and unlocking certain areas and stuff like that. Hmm. But then each room is its own puzzle and it's got its own personality and it's got... Like, I just love just finding a, a, a flutter of dollar bills or something mm, behind a curtain. Mm. Or taking a photo of some cheese. Exactly. The other lovely thing like, that connects to all this stuff is every room feels alive because you interact with everything. Yeah. Which is ironic because they're full of ghosts. <laughs> but yeah, the way, the way the Hoover kind of, you know, you, you interact with the different set pieces within a, a, a scene, it has real life to it. And, and like Minty says, it's, it's a game about the undead, but it is one that really crackles with kind of personality personality in life thank you for that minty what a lovely trip down memory lane Mm. moving on we have my game so my game is i believe the second game that i owned we've had we've had the first one in this list already Mm -hmm. jurassic park correct as you will probably guess this game is also on the nintendo game boy lovely it is kirby's dreamland oh (laughs) which is obviously an absolutely lovely game. So I'm sure that everyone will know Kirby as a character. He is the 
perfectly spherical pink bowl yeah. with feet and arms, just just about, just about. And <laughs> he's most famous for inhaling enemies and absorbing their abilities and just being downright gosh darn adorable. Now, interestingly, Kirby's Dreamland doesn't have the one thing in it that Kirby is famous for. It doesn't have the copy abilities, does it? It does not have the copy abilities. When I got round to playing Kirby's Adventure on the NES, which very much has elements of Kirby's Dreamland in there, but it's got all the copy abilities and all that sort of stuff, I was like, okay, obviously they didn't quite have the, the, the technical capabilities to do that for the Game Boy, so they had to sort of scale it, scale it down. Very much like where you compare, say, A Link to the Past to then what they did with Link's Awakening, which is going, okay, well, we can't do all of that, but we can certainly do some of that hmm. in a smaller thing. But I've only found out today that Kirby's Adventure didn't come out until after Kirby's Dreamland. Kirby's Dreamland is the first Kirby game. Oh, really? Yeah, which I didn't realise. So initially, Kirby was just an adorable round platform character. I don't know if they thought in that game that, oh, actually, we really want to do copy abilities at some point. But um, there's no hint of it, of that being a thing at all. And weirdly enough, because that was my first exposure to Kirby, any other Kirby game I've played where copy abilities have been a thing, I've always thought, oh, that's a bit unnecessary. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I didn't need that. I didn't need that. He was great as he was. Like, mm. it was all a bit convoluted now, which isn't fair, obviously. But I remember having uh, this game, obviously, as a, as a very young child and absolutely loving it. I mean, I didn't have many games on the Game Boy, and so I would just play through this game over and over and over. There was no save functionality in the game, so every time you turned the Game Boy off, you had to start the game again, which is fine, because as with all games from that era, you could complete it in about 15 minutes, and mm -hmm. I got very good at doing that. I'd found all the little <laughs> secret doors. There were levels I could complete with my eyes closed, which was quite fun. And it also featured a very modern gaming trope, that I only realised was in there when I was thinking back to the game uh, today, which is how the game ends with a, essentially what is a boss rush mode. Ooh. So after you beat the four main worlds, you then go to this suspended area in the clouds before you fight King DDD, and you have to do, in a row, like a, a little compressed version of each of the worlds, followed by beating that boss the boss of that world again and you have to do that for all four bosses and then fight king ddd and it's just really really cool it's really cool and the music in the game is fan bloody tastic some of my <laughs> favorite music in a game it is wonderful i mean it is it sounds very much like kirby looks which is pure joy one of the nice things is you do get to unlock a sound test mode as well Lovely. if you uh, complete the game. And uh, so I used to just listen to the music. I mean, I like to think that I used to walk around with it with headphones in like a very early iPod. But I, I don't know <laughs> if I did that or not. <laughs> I hope you did. However, picking up on a thread from what we were talking about earlier this episode, there is actually a hard mode in the game as well. But rather than throwing you into the hard mode straight away and going, oh, no, you could do this on easy, you had to complete the game first. And then after you watch the credits, it would give you a little button combination. And it says, press this on the title screen to access extra mode. And extra mode was the entire game, but unbelievably harder. <laughs> uh, not, not in the way that it was like, okay, so you get like one health instead of six. All the enemies were different. And there were loads of new enemies that weren't even in you know, it's not like they're putting enemies from the fourth world in the first world. It was all new enemies. 
and very, very cleverly designed variations on the original enemies so that you would think there's a giant pig running towards me. That's okay. I know what to do with this. I've seen this in the game before. And then all of a sudden, he started jumping at you and you're like, I can't, I didn't anticipate that. So this pig has destroyed me. <laughs> One thing I really, really liked was there was a little, a little chick and the chick would intermittently jump and fly in a little circle. And obviously, if you hit him, you took damage. But in hard mode, it was a full chicken. Oh, God. Yeah. I never completed hard mode. In fact, I I think I maybe got to the second world once and was just so terrified and anxiety riddled by that prospect that I probably imploded <laughs> fairly soon after arriving in Castle Low, Low, Low. But thinking about it today, I thought, I wonder, I wonder if I could... I reckon I probably have the nous now to, to give that a, a run for its money. I think I might give it a go. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But someday... I'll get there. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So there we have it. My 79th favourite video game is lovely little adorable platform game, Kirby's Dreamland. It's fantastic, isn't it? I mean, you've just talked extensively on on how nice it is, but I I went back and played Kirby's Dreamland uh, a few years back when Satoru Iwata passed away. Yes, I did uh, Because he, he he was the sole programmer of this game. Yeah. And I think that... As a period of time, that that's like the first celebrity death in my entire lifetime of, of being now like thirty two years old, that I I felt like genuinely upset. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. And and I think it was not not that it's someone that we necessarily had any connection to like personally, but it's that he was just I don't know like like kind of an overseer of everything that we'd enjoyed growing up. Exactly. I mean, he had given me more joy in my life than most people I know. Exactly, exactly, and and I think like you say when when you talk about Kirby as a character that is just the embodiment of joy. Yeah, I I've just felt that was the best way to mark that and, and like to to send him off as it were. Yeah, it just felt really touching as well to to play a, a, a silly fun game on the Game Boy, but that had this added weight to it suddenly. Yeah, because it uh, you know what it represented at that time. Absolutely, Kirby has been one of my favourite Nintendo characters ever since um, because he's just so lovely I've got several amiibo of him I've played many Kirby games some that I liked some that I didn't like I mean I've always liked things that are perfectly round there's something (laughs) something wonderful about it so finally we have Chris can you please tell us what your 79th favourite video game is I'm going to start this with a series of superlative statements because it's quite a significant game this one it it kind of changed the way I thought about about several things when it came out Ooh. it's a game that made me think about sort of models of distribution in games more than I had previously it's a game that made me think about the the distinction between what was like a AAA developed game and an independent developed game and, and how they kind of melded together sometimes it was a game that made me think about narrative games differently than I think I ever had before it was a game that made me think about what is the purpose of, of playing a game, what, what you're supposed to get out of it, what's the, what's the intention, I guess. And generally, it just it made me think about games as a whole very differently. And when I first finished it, it's one of the first games that kept me up at night thinking about it. And this is Jonathan Blow's first game, Braid. There we go. Fantastic. <laughs> Minty mouthed it to me as, <laughs> as you were talking about it, yeah. That's that's fantastic. I mean, I I love this game. Absolutely love this game. Yeah, it's it's um, extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. I mean, for for anyone that's not played it, obviously we all have, but it is a two D puzzle platform game, and it's most basic. So in how you play it, it's not dissimilar to say like Mario or any other, uh, I guess like slower paced platformer because it's not about speed. 
you've got kind of a character that feels quite weighty, a little bit floaty when he jumps. And the, the whole sort of central conceit is that every stage of the game, you are working with different time manipulation abilities. So in some stages, you have the opportunity to kind of freeze certain parts of time or rewind time. Uh, in some stages, your position on the screen will either speed up or slow down the level or, or run it back or forwards, kind of like a tape head on, a, on an old VCR. In some, you kind of fuse like a past echo of yourself to solve puzzles. And, and what was fantastic about that is it's a game that made me feel like a genius, <laughs> like, like playing through. It's no, no part of it felt like you could just brute force your way through. So you had to understand what was happening and why it was happening. Because it was that slower paced sort of game, you had to take stock of what was going on and think about, okay, what abilities do I have and how can I actually influence this world around me? And I think that's that's best showcased. Like, I, I really don't want to spoil any particular puzzles because it's something I want everyone to play if they haven't already. But there's a series of puzzles that repeat throughout the game that's the same room layout, but the way you, you solve the room each time is completely different because of what abilities you have at, at your disposal. And the first time I sort of spotted that callback, I, I felt genuinely blown away. It was like, you know, this is taking something I've, I've seen and understand and repurposing it more than, like you said, with Kirby, like with new enemies on the same stage, but really saying, OK, you know how to play the stage, but actually you don't at all. Jonathan blown away. <laughs> well, there we go. That was me playing the game. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a game that's all about subverting expectations. And, and like I say, the idea that when you get things right, you, you just feel like a fucking genius. Like there's no other way to say it. It's, it's, it really is it, down to making you feel brilliant when you get it right. Like there's, there's so many times when I was playing, it's not necessarily a long game. Like when you know what to do, it's only a couple hours long probably, but it obviously takes longer as a, as a first playthrough. But there's times when you're kind of, your progress might be halted and then you kind of spend a bit of time thinking about it. And the, the transition between being frustrated to then having this sudden like elucidatory moment where it's like, I, I know, I know what I'm supposed to be doing is, is just this constant reward. And the way that the mechanics throughout the game, it's always organically taught. It's, you know, there's never a screen that's like, press X to do this. The, the, the whole thing is just, okay, I'm, I'm seeing what's happening and I've got to figure out how I can actually use this to my ability. To my advantage, not my ability. That's not a phrase, is it? But it's, it's a game that I think respects the player in a way that I probably didn't see again until his follow-up, The Witness, yeah. which is lovely as well. But that's for another day. <laughs> I mean, it's similar to what we were talking about earlier. Obviously, Jonathan Blow chucks you into a game and goes, figure it out. He doesn't give you help. But that's very different from something like From Software will do, which is chuck you in a game, give you all the help, and it's really hard. Yeah. But that sense of reward and achievement you get from the game is identical actually yeah like you said how you feel when you beat a puzzle in braid is very similar to how you feel when you finally beat a boss in uh, in dark souls or something like that yeah. i think that jonathan blow is somebody who really exemplifies the genius of restraint yeah and there's so many times when like you said he could have spoon-fed people especially when it comes to actually exploring the themes that the game looks at oh yeah you know if, if i'd have made a game like braid that was that complex and brilliantly designed with such complex themes i'd be going well i need to make sure that everyone knows just how good this is so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna leave it up to chance i'm gonna tell yeah. them whereas he's perfectly happy to go i reckon they'll figure it out and that feels humbling yeah I mean, talk, talking about kind of like the, the themes of Braid, mm. again, not, I want people to play this. I want people to really experience it. But if nothing else, if people are not going to do that, just watch a playthrough and kind of experience just someone doing it kind of from start to finish. Because the, the game's ending, 
I think is is absolutely genius. Like I keep saying genius, but it's it's so good because it subverts everything you expect from this sort of genre and this sort of regular narrative. Yeah. That again, playing it at the time, I, I played it with my housemate at uni, and. I felt myself like gasping. Yeah, <laughs> like it was. It was just a, you know the, the realization of what's actually happening that kind of recontextualizes everything you've done was was incredible. And the point that then after that you start picking away at kind of like the metaphor of the whole thing and, and how you can sort of read it in different ways. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's brilliant. And I mean, I played through Braid. What I said about kind of distribution models and, and kind of indie and, and AAA, it came out. It was like a real push from Microsoft back at the kind of Xbox Live era yeah. to essentially plug their own release schedule because AAA development cost more and more time and money at the time and they kind of saw these independent titles as being a way to just plug gaps so it kind of it's, it's born from a, a position of cynicism really yeah but because of that it came out when i was playing the xbox 360 i was obsessed with collecting achievements in games like achievement points and i'd play loads of stuff that i hated just to to beat it and, and <laughs> you know have, have the points like the king kong game and lost yeah I beat both of those. <laughs> a thousand yep. points in both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but I mean, when I, when I finished Braid, I, I got my 200 points, my 200 gamer score for the, the arcade title at the time. But I kept playing it and that hadn't happened for years. Like I, I really felt like I'd kind of driven myself into a corner. And, and what spurred that on was not only kind of wanting to figure out the narrative a bit more, really think about what the game was about, but I realized the game featured hidden collectibles as well. And they are like devious hidden collectibles to the point where they are completely missable on a regular playthrough. And again, that realisation that they were there, it, it was mind-blowing, it really was. And in order to actually unlock them or to find them, they required you to do things that you never would have tried in the game itself necessarily. And I remember like some of them would be kind of like using your uh, sort of time manipulation abilities in very different ways to kind of like almost like break the bounds of the level. Some of them had you essentially breaking the fourth wall of understanding kind of like what what was meant to be something you could climb on, what you couldn't within the the stages. And one one particular one again that made me think that Jonathan Blow was operating on a level just far beyond what anyone else was at the time. There's there's one that requires you to wait in a certain location for over two hours. That I remember setting my Xbox up and going out and coming back to to sort of find if I'd done it when I came home. Oh my gosh! And it's it's these ways. It's like. You know, it's it's all more and more esoteric, but it mm. felt like it was it was about the journey. This this is what I mean about kind of different ways of approaching a game. Mm. It's not about the ending so much because when you do get these collectibles, you get no reward. The reward is about just figuring it out. Yeah, and and that is braid entirely. I think the the whole game is about figuring it out, not just in terms of the the act of actually playing it, but th- this idea of like I said, just being kept up at night because I was unpicking it. Yeah, like you know, th- this is over ten years ago. But when I played it at the time, I remember talking to my girlfriend at the time about it. Her being totally uninterested, but me, <laughs> me being like so so hyped up about this game that it's like, well, someone's going to listen, and you're the person I'm supposed to be closest to. So just buckle up. <laughs> and where is she now? Oh, God knows. <laughs> Pre- presumably uh, not extolling the virtues of Jonathan Blow on a podcast. <laughs> but, Almost certainly not. But, you but know, I'm, but I'm you glad know. that we are. I absolutely agree. I think it's really quite a phenomenal game. And I played it through because it was one of the, you know, those sort of celebrated indie games sort of the, in that first wave yeah. with like, you know, Fez and uh, Super Meat Boy and, and those sort of games. I enjoyed it as a, a puzzle platformer and didn't really give it much more thought than that until then I started just eating away at me a little bit. Just thinking, oh, actually, mm. 
and then looking into it and reading up about it and then being like oh oh my i am not worthy (laughs) (laughs) it's it's a game that kind of unspools over time yeah absolutely i mean goodness knows what he's gonna do next i love the fact that he didn't rush anything else out he gave a tremendous amount of thought into what he was gonna do and uh my goodness my goodness what's he gonna do next (laughs) there we are thank you very much for uh, bringing Braid to this table much like a Braid we have intertwined three lovely games this week first we had the assassination of King Boo by the coward Green Mario (laughs) then we had Kirby's Dreamland and finally Braid If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of the episodes, please do like and subscribe, share it with your friends, leave us a rating. You can also find us on Facebook if you search for Our Three Cents, where we've always got a conversation going on there about various video gamey things, or you can ask us questions that you might like us to discuss in the episodes, or you can reach out to us individually. You can find me on Twitter, at Jonathan Dunn. You can find me at Chaz underscore Hodges. You can tweet me your irreverent bump from gubbins. <laughs> and please do join us again next week for our 78. Hi. Bye.